the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This week's The Interview is brought to you by AndrewandTodd.com. AndrewandTodd.com are the world's best lenders for real estate. They are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. You can call them at 888 888-888-1172, 888-888-1172. And please do, no matter what your lending needs are, andrewandtodd.com. And now welcome to this new edition of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Morning, glory, and evening, Grace, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Special hour of the Hugh Hewitt Show, a real treat as I'm talking with Dick Van Dyke, an American treasure. His brand new book, My Lucky Life, In and Out of Show Business, in bookstores now, available via Amazon.com. Dick Van Dyke, welcome to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Thank you so much for having me. Why did you wait so long to write a classic showbiz memoir? Well, to tell you the truth, the idea of writing a, a book never occurred to me. And uh, the uh, publisher called me and, I, and asked me to write an autobiography. And I, at first I thought, well, you know, my life's been kind of, of bland. And I thought, I don't think it'll be interesting. <clears throat> and then, of course, I realized that most of the things that have happened to me were strictly a matter of being in the right time and the right place. So I wrote it on, you know, kind of pointing that out, and it came out all right. Oh, it came out wonderful. In fact, I enjoyed it. We'll talk a lot about it. I've interviewed Dick Van Dyke, a number of people you talk about in this book, Julie Andrews, Carol Burnett, Andy Williams, and it occurs to me that, like you, they have this enormous Q factor, this brand that, that I don't think really exists anymore where you haven't got any enemies and everybody kind of likes you. Do you think that's possible for anyone to, to have that kind of a brand in show business anymore? Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe not. We were, uh, by, uh, you know, order, we, we couldn't do uh, much in the way of, uh, you know, the latitude of subject matter back then. We slept in twin beds and, <laughs> yep. and uh, couldn't say word, the word pregnant. and uh, It was more family-oriented. I think today... Uh, it's gotten to the place where you're, you're, you're bound to offend somebody. Uh, in My Lucky Life on page 111, you write, I could play many types of characters on camera, but all were in some way going to be variations of me, and I was conscious of who I was. I wasn't a prude or a goody two-shoes, but I was in many ways still the boy my mother praised for being good, and the older and more complex, I was content with remaining that good boy. Uh, did that pay off? Is that the thing that made it happen? Uh, I suppose so. I, uh, you know, w- once my kids were born, I, I decided I didn't want to make anything they couldn't see. And, uh, of course, back then it was easy. These days it's a little more difficult. Right. Did uh, Walt Disney, is that why he picked you for Mary Poppins? The strange thing is it, it was that. I thought it was because of my singing and dancing. It turned out that he had seen an interview I did about the lack of a good family entertainment. And that's why he called me. Huh. Now, when you talk about Mary Poppins at length in the book, uh, My Lucky Life, you wrote, there have only two times in my career when I've known I had a chance to be involved in something special. The first was the Dick Van Dyke show, and the second was when I read the script for Poppins. Did you have to compete against anyone for the for the role of Bert? Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Uh, I didn't hear of anybody who was up for the role, and uh, 
and Walt called me, and I, I, I think I must have been the first choice. I certainly hope I was. When, when Walt Disney called you in those days, is that like getting the voice of God on the phone? Uh, almost. At least he was God to me. <laughs> I'd always been a, a great admirer of, of uh, Walt's. It was, you know, he, uh, there was nobody like him in the, in the movie business. And uh, I met him and uh, liked him instantly. Just a very normal old shoe guy. Uh, in terms of the music, he said he liked Feed the Birds the most. How... That was his favorite. He loved, he'd ask the boys to play it for him over and over. How present was he on the set for that film? Very much so. Yeah, very much hands-on. He was on the set every day. And, uh, you know, his touch I think, and his excitement about the project it just kind of flowed to all of us. He was so excited about it that uh, he kind of kept us in that state of anticipation. We just had that feeling that something really magic was happening. Now, a couple of years ago, I had Julie Andrews on, as I said, and I asked her this question, which I'll play for you, Dick Van Dyke, and I want to pose it to you. It's it's about the hardest physical role she ever had, or physical song she had to sing. Here's what Julie Andrews said. Which was the hardest of all these memorable songs, whether from Camelot or My Fair Lady, the other ones that that you had to master? Which was the hardest to sing? Oh, my. Um, out Out of the two shows that you've mentioned... That's a good question. I think probably, in all honesty, uh, there was a song in My Fair Lady, uh, an angry song called Just You Wait, Henry Higgins. Yes. That Eliza sings and hurls at, uh, at her um, uh, Svengali, so to speak. And uh, it was not high to sing, but there was so much shrieking and rage in it that if you weren't careful, you could tear your voice to shreds on it. So uh, to do that role, which I did for like three and a half years eight performances a week, you have to be very careful and look after your throat. Dick Van Dyke, what's the hardest physical role that you've had to do? Uh, I would say the toughest one was uh, a number in Chitty Bang Bang called Meal Bamboo. Huh, I don't I don't know it. Huh. Oh, you never saw that? No. Well, it's, it, uh, we did about 23 takes. And oh, it was gosh. the hardest dance number I ever did. It was harder than the, than the uh, chimney sweep dance in Mary Poppins. Now, have you gone to see Mary? Physically challenging, but I was proud uh, proud of it. Uh, Have you gone to see Mary Poppins on Broadway? Yes, I have. What do you think of the physicality of that role for for Bert? Well, just incredible. I I met the young man who does the part, and he dances up the proscenium and across the top. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that. He was just great in the role. So when you were making a movie like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or Mary Poppins, and you're rehearsing and choreography and, and going, did you get injured a lot? No, I don't. I don't think I've ever injured myself. I, I think I broke my clavicle in uh, what the heck in uh, Dick Tracy. Oh, I got shot in Dick Tracy and fell and dislocated my clavicle. But in in uh, when I fell down on purpose, <laughs> I never hurt myself. Uh, you you wrote in um, in the in the new book that the I love to laugh scene in Mary Poppins. There was a lot of hanging around in the air on high wires as the lights were adjusted, and your diaphragm ached from laughing. That, did that qualify in the top three of difficulties? Yeah, that was yeah, that was a little hard, especially when they'd break for lunch and forget about us. Yeah, <laughs> sure. you have to say, hey, hey, we're still up here. You know, one of the one of the nice touches in this book is that you write about people like Mark Bro and Dee Dee Wood, who are the choreographers on Poppins. Yes. That's not often done in showbiz, where people are trying to bring people out from behind the curtain. How important the contribution here? Beyond, uh, I couldn't even describe it. You know, I was not a professional dancer, and I never trained as a dancer. And they were excellent at taking what I was, what I could do, and you know, and making a lot of it. They they just uh, 
And, of course, they pushed me pretty far, and I danced more than I'd ever have. But their, their understanding of my lack of training was just incredible. Do, do you watch the, the big dance show that's now on, whatever they call that, with all the amateur dancers? Uh, 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 what's the name of it? You, so you think you can dance? and, and oh, the one uh, that, Yeah. Uh, uh, what is the, the big one? I can't think of. Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars, yeah. Do you watch that? Oh, you, I have watched it on a few occasions. They've called me and asked me if I wanted to be on it. And I said, well, maybe I could do one dance. Uh-huh. But you have to come up with a new dance every week. And what? I said, that's a little beyond me. Was there anything you just could not master with enough good choreography and enough good coaching? Uh, I had trouble with pirouettes. <laughs> I could do one, uh, but, uh, you know, real dancers can spot. And I never did learn to spot. So more than one pirouette, I was liable to fall on my face. Now, Dick Van Dyke, you've done, you've been incredibly successful, in fact, in the sitcom, in a variety show, on the big screen. Very specific question. What takes the most non-natural talent? What's the hardest, you know, that you just got to work at it and block and tackle and do it right? Well, I think for me, uh, doing uh, drama, anything serious. That's, uh, as an actor, I, I, I count myself as credible. But when it comes to dramatic scenes, I have a little trouble. I start laughing at myself. <laughs> there, there is no anger in your memoir at all. Uh, there must have been tough days on the set of Mary Poppins. I can't imagine anyone getting mad at Julie Andrews, but there still must be some days. Did you just decide to write that out? I can't remember any situation that anybody got angry. I, we got tired, of course, and exhausted, but I don't, everybody was so happy with what we were doing. I don't recall one unpleasant moment on that movie. How about in other movies? Because, again, uh, nowadays you'll read about stars storming off and directors having fits and people yelling and screaming. There's none of that in my lucky life. I don't think I recall anything. Uh, I don't know whether I mentioned in the book or not. The, uh, the director of Chitty Bang Bang was not uh, accustomed to working with, with children. And sometimes his language got a little... Yes, you did mention that. Oh, I do. And I asked him, you know, to please not do that in front of the kids, because he was doing it right in front of the children. Uh, But he he knocked it off. Now, back to Walt Disney before our first break. Um, How would you sum up for people that are listening right now that really don't know him and didn't grow up with him in their, their living room on Friday and Saturday night, his impact on American entertainment? Dyke is my guest. His brand new book is My Lucky Life, In and Out of Show Business. It's linked at HughHewitt.com. It's in bookstores everywhere. Don't go anywhere, America. It's Hugh Hewitt on The Hugh Hewitt Show. You use a sturdy pole. 21 minutes after the hour, America. Of course, that's from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. My guest is Dick Van Dyke. His brand new book, My Lucky Life, in and out of show business in bookstores everywhere. So that was the hardest song ever, huh, Dick Van Dyke? Absolutely. At the finish of that number, 
we all had to jump over our uh, bamboo sticks. And every take, one guy would miss. And we finally, I think, ended up with 23 takes. Oh, and you, I catch it on my heel, but you'll, if you watch the movie, you can see me with the determination pulling it on through. I didn't have another take in me. Uh, do you do you get these things? Are you amazed that this is Chitty Chitty Chang Bang and Mary Poppins out on DVD now? They'll never not be in the in the bookshelves of young people growing up. It really has has been a surprise to me. I, I knew that that Mary Poppins was was something that the kids would always enjoy, but the fact that it has had such legs is is so satisfying to me. And Walt must be really proud. I want to I want to go back now to the Dick Van Dyke show, but begin sort of right now. The big comedy hit of the day is Modern Family. Do you watch that, Dick Van Dyke? You know something? I, I'm not much of a, of a sitcom watcher. I hate to admit that. Well, everyone in it, uh, it, it's, it is likable, and it's full of real situation. That sound like anything you did for five years on the Dick Van Dyke show? <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. I, I, I have watched occasionally one, and it seems to me that they're a little short on uh, relationships and, and the uh, character texture. And a little long on uh, one-line jokes. Yeah. You know, everybody has to have a funny line. And uh, for me, that's not as entertaining. Now, Modern Family is definitely, it's very much in the Dick Van Dyke show, obviously updated with all the, the, the modern twists on it. Let me ask, would you tell the audience how long it took to get to Dick Van Dyke? What, were you 34 when you started the show? Uh, I think... 33, I think you're right, 33 or 34, yeah. And so you, your career was not all linear. It wasn't a, a, an elevator to the top, and you made some interesting choices like smirking at the prices right and telling people that's not going to fly. <laughs> I found, so how did you end up getting the call to do Dick Van Dyke? Uh, well, I had been, I started out at CBS. I was doing a game show, which uh, and I was no good at that at all. And I, I was in, um, finally got in Bye Bye Birdie. I auditioned for, for Gower Champion and got that part, of course, which changed my life totally. And if you read the book, you know that my, my big song, Put on a Happy Face, yep. was written for Cheetah Rivera. Yep. And uh, uh, he said, well, the, the skinny kid there's got nothing to do in the first act. Why don't you give it to him? And Cheetah was gracious enough to give it to me. And uh, out of that, I won a Tony. And Carl Reiner saw me in Bye Bye Birdie, and I got the break on the Van Dyke show. So... My life really got took off after that. Uh, five years you did the Dick Van Dyke show. That was Carl Reiner's idea. Any regrets it didn't go longer? I, I have told people I'd still be doing it if uh. they'd let me. No, it was the best five years of my life. And, and why did he just say five years? He had the feeling back then that you started to get repetitive. Uh, or you might you know, be, uh, be, begin to caricature uh, the, the parts. But my, yeah, I've seen shows go 12 and 13 years. I think we could have gone longer. But, of course, Carl did so much of the writing, I think he felt that he probably would burn out before long. I'll come back and talk about Carl Reiner a little bit. But first, Maury Amsterdam, Rosemary, isn't it odd how you are linked in the way that, you know, Carol Burnett's linked with Tim Conway and Vicki Harris and, and Harvey Corman, and yet, you know, you and Maury and Rosemary and Mary Tyler Moore, I, I, how often do people come up and want to talk about them with you? Oh, quite a lot. They ask, they ask me about you know, how we all got along off camera. And we got along about the same as we did on camera. It was a, uh, that chemistry was just a, a lucky break that we all fell together so so well and so quickly. Did anyone uh, get cast in that show who didn't make it? You know, you, you kind of traded them out in a hurry because they just didn't fit with the ensemble? 
not that I recall. Huh? I know Carl had a different cast when he shot the pilot, but we, I don't think anybody ever, uh, right down to the guy that brought in the coffee every day. I, they stayed the same the whole five years. Uh, you have played opposite and thus helped make the careers of two of the most beloved women in entertainment, and Julie Andrews and Mary Tyler Moore. What did they have in common? Well, they were both great ladies, and I loved them both. I, I've really batted a thousand on leading ladies. Yeah, I've always had the most wonderful gals. Being uh, Julie, uh, you know, was uh, passed by for uh, uh, what am I trying to say? My Fair Lady, right? And I always thought, what a mistake that was. I think she won a, an Oscar partly because people were so disappointed that she didn't get My Fair Lady. Because on Broadway, she was just a wonder in it. Uh, how did they change over their careers as you watched them as someone who'd worked with them? Did they stay pretty much the same person as you watched them both close and afar? Oh, yes. Yes, and uh, uh, when Mary went on with, with the Mary Tyler Moore show, I was so pleased that she took sitcoms a little bit further. I think the relationships uh, they delved into a little more deeply, and it just it had more texture and was more of a story. And I thought it was one of the best sitcoms ever. Now, Dick Van Dyke, when you're so close to someone on the screen like Julie Andrews or Mary Tyler Moore or or Maury Amptrin and Rosemary, what's it like after the show breaks and the, and the show's over? How much do you stay in touch with them? You write a little bit about this in My Lucky Life, but expand on that a bit. Well, you know, it's one of the sad things about our business. You work with the people and form our friendships, and then you don't see them for years. And I've had it happen so often. Mary lives in Connecticut, and I'm out here. And when one of us travels with the coast, we'll get together, and we talk on the phone. Incidentally, have you seen the news that she's having a, a, a brain operation? Yeah, today, for a benign brain tumor, uh, and it's supposed to be fairly non-eventful thing. That's what the family tells me. It's a, a benign lesion she's had, they figure, most of her life. And they've been keeping a pretty close eye on it. And so I guess it's not a, not a serious operation. So you really do stay in touch. Is. You really do stay in touch with people that you worked with that way. Oh, yeah, as much as possible. Because they'll be off doing other jobs and everything. And I, there are people I love that I haven't seen in years. That's just the way this business is. Has this book brought people out that, you know, that they're picking it up and saying, oh, i got to go check the index and see what Dick Van Dyke said about me? Oh, so... <laughs> I'm sure they did. I'm sure they have. <laughs> now, in terms of the book tour, how do you like that compared to the other kind of hoofing you've done over your years? What kind? The, you know, doing a book tour and talking to all these different radio and television people. Well, you know, uh, I've done a couple of book signings, uh, which is a brand new thing to me, of course. And I found out you start writing with your fingers, and then as you get tired, you start writing with your arm, and your signature gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> uh, Dick Van Dyke, uh, the Fetching Mrs. Hewitt and I were going to go and see you in Santa Monica, and the show ended up not going. I think you injured yourself. Are you still performing with these guys and singing with these guys? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> we've been together, let's see, 10 years. And last summer we sang for the president in uh, in Washington, yep. which is at the peak of our career. <laughs> and in terms of, do you have a, a schedule out there right now that people can find where you're going to be next? Uh, no, not right at the moment. I'm st- I, I tore my Achilles heel, and uh, I'm still waiting for that to heal. It was doing very well. <clears throat> I'm about ready to start tapping again. How did you do that? That's why you canceled the Santa Monica show that I had tickets That's, for. Well, I, in rehearsal, I was dancing a little too hard, and I think I made a bad move. And I, I tore my Achilles heel. Oh, so it's the cast off? 
Uh, well, cast is off, thank God. All right, when we come back from break, Dick Van Dyke is my guest. His brand-new book is My Lucky Life, In and Out of Show Business. It's a wonderful memoir. We're going to talk next about Stan Laurel and Buster Keaton. Yeah, he knew him. We'll talk about him when we return to The Hugh Hewitt Show. Thirty-four minutes after the American Chew Hewitt, one of the most widely recognized and known bits of television musical history is the intro to the Dick Van Dyke Show. Of course, the guest of uh, this hour is Dick Van Dyke, uh, American you know, treasure. His new book, My Lucky Life In and Out of Show Business, is a wonderful read. Uh, Dick Van Dyke, I was touched to read in here that you befriended and gave the eulogies for Stan Laurel and Buster Keaton. Uh, explain a little bit about your relationship with these two giants. Well, as I've told the story a billion times. I was, I was looking for a phone number in the Santa Monica book, and I happened to see Stan Laurel, and I really didn't believe it was Stan Laurel. I called the number, and he answered, and he knew me you know, from uh, television, and I went to visit him that Sunday afternoon <clears throat> and spent a wonderful afternoon with him, just popping a lot of questions about their old movies. And then uh, it got to be kind of a habit with me to go visit Stan. And, you know, I found out that an awful lot of guys were making a pilgrimage up there, uh, Jerry Lewis and uh, Danny Kay and a lot of the comedians of that time all kind of worshipped Stan. Yeah. And Buster Keaton, how did that come about? I, I, I forget how I found Buster, but I, I, I got in touch with his wife, Eleanor, and he lived out in San Fernando Valley, and I got an appointment to see him and went by. And uh, both of them, I think, were about the same age. Another, but he was, uh, you know, quite a physical comedian. Very, very shy man. Hard to hard to get talking when you first meet him. But uh, oh my God, he was a, a delight. And he he had a stunt where he used to put one foot up on the table and then the other foot up on the table and just hang there a minute before he fell. And I think he was 68 years old. When I met him, and he did it for me. Oh my gosh! I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and he broke his hip. Right? I don't. I can't imagine sixty-eight. All right. You mentioned Jerry Lewis. There's a funny story in here about you and Jerry Lewis and the Queen of England. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I owe him one. Yeah. I, I was being presented on television to the Queen of England, and I was standing next to uh, Sean Connery and his wife. And of course, you get you're told how to behave. You bow and you don't speak unless spoken to, and so forth. She was just turning to me. And Jerry Lewis was standing with the crowd over behind the, the velvet rope. And he said, hey, Dick. And I turned around and said, what? Oh. And then I turned back, and there, the queen was standing in front of me. And he did it on purpose. Of course. Now, th there are great comedians like that. And you mentioned Stan Laurel and Buster Keating. Do you see any of that continuity today in, in guys like Jerry Seinfeld and Steve Carell? And, and, you know, there are people like Jason Alexander who can also dance. Are they in the same lineage? Are they that same kind of person? Uh, I think so. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Jim Carrey, of course, as a physical comedian, is a, a comparable to any of those guys back in that day. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, you mentioned when you were doing Bye Bye Birdie, Fred Astaire appears. And uh, explain to the audience what that's like to have Fred Astaire watch you dance. Well, uh, unfortunately, somebody peeked out and told me he was there. So I, I, I thought I almost fell off the stage. I was so nervous. But uh, he later uh, told me he'd very much like the way I moved, was the way he put it, which I never forgot. 
And yeah. the, the, the Cary Grant story is my favorite. Please Cary, tell people that. He, uh, <clears throat> I was wearing my own clothes, and I, <clears throat> I had some nice suits that I wore. And the, a knock came on the dressing room door. I opened it, and Cary Grant pushed me out of the way and went over and started going through my suits. I was so flattered. <laughs> And he approved. He approved of your sartorial choices. Yeah, uh, absolutely. He liked the way I dressed. That, uh, that show, about which I didn't know much, which included Paul Lynn and Charles Nelson Riley, yes. it continues. I mean, you can't go past a high school in America. They're not performing Bye Bye Birdie. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone come close to playing Paul Lynn the same way? Nobody. Nobody ever will. Yeah. Charles Nelson Riley. again, I don't have any picture of him other than in a Hollywood square somewhere, but it sounds like he was quite the Broadway guy. Oh, he was. He, he ended up... Uh, directing quite a lot, even operas. He was uh, a multi-talented man and one of the funniest guys I ever met. He was my understudy. That's funny. He literally only had one line in the show. I think he played the janitor in the high school or said, this is it or something. He had no other lines. He had to go on for me one night when there was a blizzard and I didn't make it. Uh, he had never, he didn't dance, nor did he sing, and he had never learned the libretto. So he went out there and just killed the audience ad-libbing. Oh, God. And he, uh, they said it was the funniest performance ever. And uh, just to know, people have to read this. You really don't want to get into an argument with Paul Lynn, do you? Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he was one of the funniest men alive, but he had a sharp tongue. People have to read the book to come. I'm coming right back. Uh, Dick Van Dyke is my guest. His new book, My Lucky Life, In and Out of Show Business. Don't go anywhere, America, except to HughHewitt.com, where I've linked the book. It's in bookstores everywhere. Stay tuned. 44 minutes after the hour, America, it's Hugh Hewitt. The man singing that song is Dick Van Dyke. He's my guest, his brand new book, My Lucky Life In and Out of Show Business. Dick Van Dyke, how often does a song like that just occur to you in your head? Which one? You know, Chim Chimarie. How often do you find yourself humming one of your great hits? Oh, quite a lot. You know, my my quartet, we do uh, uh, mostly children's things, but of course we do everything from Poppins and Chitty Bang Bang. And we do a lot of Sesame Street songs, too, kind of jazz versions. So I find myself singing that stuff a lot. Okay. You, uh, as you recount in My Lucky Life, you taught Sunday school at the Dutch Reformed Church when you were living in New Jersey. You taught it at Bel Air Presbyterian for a number of years. That's really not the mold of the standard Hollywood guy, is it? Well, I guess not normally, although it was Long Island rather than... uh, New Jersey, okay. Yeah, out in Brookville, Long Island. I was at a, a book signing last week in Huntington, Long Island, and this uh, quite elderly lady came up and said, I was one of your, in your Sunday school class when I was a little girl. <laughs> now, that is, that's really remarkable. How many other people in Hollywood kind of kept that lifestyle and were church-going, you know, mainline Christians in those years? Uh, well, I think there's quite a few. You just never hear about them. Okay. They don't get a lot of publicity unless they do something bad. Okay. I want to talk now about Carl Reiner. Uh, the younger audience listening doesn't know about his genius and perhaps the way that uh, people who are 40 and older do. No. And you're very intentional about conveying that. In fact, on page 71, you write, Carl is the finest all-around writer to ever create a situation comedy. He's also one of the finest human beings to do so. What makes for genius in the writer's room on a comedy? Uh, you know, beyond the fact that he's just brilliant and and talented, I don't know his his understanding and grasp of human nature is just beyond me. He was my mentor in my life, along with the uh, show business. We were raising our kids, 
and I used to go hit to him for advice about that. He's just a, a prince of a human being, the most interesting man I ever met. Now, of course, the writer's room is central to the Dick Van Dyke show. So how much would the show's writer's room reflect the one that was off stage? Uh, pretty much the same. A, a lot of laughing and a lot of uh, rewriting and throwing of lines around. It was very much the same. You know, I've had so many current young comedy writers come to me and say they decided to go into comedy writing because of the show. Right. It looked like we were having so much fun. Huh. I also grew up watching Sheldon Leonard's name appear on credit rolls. You give him his due in this book. Uh, again, for the benefit of the audience, a little about this television genius. Well, he was, I think he was originally a producer on the original Lucy show. And they, they innovated the three-camera technique where you could shoot in front of an audience and do it in sequence like a play. And he was involved uh, very heavily with the Danny Thomas show, directed a lot of them, too, and just had a great grasp of uh, story and character. And uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was really the, the older, wise one on the show. And he and Carl sometimes had differences of opinion about what was funny. I can recall, I don't know, there was a show we did, which turned out to be a dream sequence, about walnuts. There, there was a, uh, I thought everybody was an invader from Mars. <laughs> and Sheldon said, absolutely, this will not work. It's not funny. And it turned out to be one of our most popular shows. So uh, I think that contention between them paid off for us. Were you aware when you were just doing an absolute stinker, it just was not going to work? Uh, yes. <laughs> it, it's fortunately, more, I've, I've done movies that were stinkers, and very few people remember them, I'm happy to say. Now, I want to turn to, uh, to talk about alcohol, you and the bottle. There is yeah, a lot of uh, stories in this book about drinking and how it snuck up on you. Impressive candor. There was a story in the New York Times this weekend, which I happened to pay attention to because I was reading your book by a guy named David Coleman, Dick Van Dyke, titled Challenging the Second A and AA which is about the movement to disclose addiction and participation in recovery by people who are in recovery. Looking back, would you have been hurt by the public disclosure of, of your problem and how you were looking for help? Well, I had a lot of people who advised me uh, not to go public, but I don't see that it ever, uh, it ever harmed me at all. As a matter of fact, I've, I've had uh, some nice uh, letters from people who felt that uh, it, it helped. It kind of removed the stigma uh, from it and, I tried to say that, uh, you know, it's not skid row bums and people with no willpower, that it can happen to anyone. I think Mercedes McCambridge was the first one to go public, and I kind of took her lead. And I've never regretted it. You, you, are you still attending meetings? There's a story about how you just simply lost your taste for alcohol after struggling with it. So do you, do you find yourself still going to meetings? No. It's been, I, I finally stopped going because it's been 25 or six years now. It is very true. I, I, I say that my drinking machine broke. Suddenly it it's, uh, began to taste bad and uh, make me a little ill, and it didn't uh, do for me what you know it was supposed to do. Yeah. So I, that was such a blessing for me. When you see celebrity smash-ups, I don't want to name anyone in particular, what's your reaction now and, and about how they ought to react to that and, and how they ought to go and get treatment? Well, it, you know, it's changed so much. I went to treatment many, many years ago when it was uh, just the beginning. We had linoleum floors and instant coffee. And now uh, most of the treatment centers look like country clubs to me. I don't know how effective they are. But 
I thought today uh, things have changed so much. You're nobody if you haven't been to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> now, in this book, you, you talk about working a lot with your kids. You work yeah. with your brother a lot. Throughout this, were they aware of the drinking problem? And they say, Dad or brother from Jerry, that, you know, you got to go get help? Well, my brother uh, recognized it, and my wife did. My kids uh, didn't seem to be that aware of it. I'm, I'm uh, thankful for that. Uh, I drank in the evening, uh, never in public, and never at work, of course. But uh, I was very shy, and it, it helped loosen me up at the time. And my kids were really not that aware of it, so uh, I'm thankful for that. And you missed the whole drug thing completely. <laughs> yes, it, that bypassed me altogether. Well, where were you? You couldn't have been in Hollywood in the 60s and 70s and missed that, could you? Well, I was in Hollywood all through the 60s and 70s. That's what I... I was aware of it going on, but thank God I never got involved in that. Well, now in, in terms of now, uh, people ask you to come out and speak on this stuff. Do you do that, or is it? Are you just too busy? Uh, to... No, I, I don't because my my recovery was so uh, mysterious. A, a lot of prayer and uh, that kind of thing, but uh, you know, really, I can't tell anybody how it happened because it just happened to me. I'll be right back. One more short segment with Dick Van Dyke, his brand new book, My Lucky Life, In and Out of Show Business, linked at HughHewitt.com. Stay tuned, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Gray skies are going to clear up, but on a happy face. Brush off the clouds and cheer up. Put on a 55 minutes after the Hour America Chew Hewitt, wrapping up an hour with Dick Van Dyke, his brand new book, My Lucky Life, in and out of show business and bookstores now. Dick Van Dyke, of course, from Bye Bye Birdie. You know, you're my hero because I'm 55. I want to be working 30 years from now. You you did diagnosis murder for, what, 10 years? In for your, 10 years. It, 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 how old were you when you started that one? Uh, 65, I think. That And then you do Night at the Museum and you're a villain with Ben Stiller? Yes. So, so uh, what is the message here? Do you think Hollywood is opening itself up to the, like a PGA senior circuit thing? Uh, possibly. I'm kind of following Betty White's lead. All <laughs> of a sudden, she, Betty's hot. <laughs> yes, she is. She's very and successful. Of course, Leachman's still around, Ernie Borgnine. Maybe so. Maybe this, uh, uh, what is it, discrimination against the elderly is going away. Nothing seems to bother you very much. In fact, they misspelled your name on the star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and yes, you laughed did. it off. They made it, I think, a D-Y-C-K or something. They had to dig it up. I wanted to have it, and but unfortunately, they broke it up. And the, the other serendipity was they put me right beside Stan Laurel. Yeah. I, I thought it was planned, and it was just an accident. Well, Dick Van Dyke, looking back then over this amazing career with much more to come, and you're still performing, young performer listening right now, a young comic, a young dancer, a young would-be television writer, what's the most important thing for them to know? Well, I, whenever the kids ask me what to do, I tell them not to do what I did, and uh, to go train, to learn to dance and sing and go to acting classes, because I had to learn it on the job, and that's the hard way. And what is the importance of God in this whole story? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I'm not much of, a, of an institutional religionist, but I do believe in a, you know, in a higher power. And uh, beyond that, I don't stick with much of the litany, <laughs> but... Uh, I think it, uh, it's very important. Whether you believe or not, as psychologists have said that prayer is very good. And, and your kids are all doing great, and you talk about your wife, and you talk about your longtime love of your life in this book, and you were always kind of with stable family around you. Uh, what's, is that the secret to this? Uh, probably. 
probably. As I said, the, the thing I'm the most proud of are my kids, who all turned out to be great human beings. And we've always been very close. And I think I, I credit them with my success because I never had a lot of ambition or drive. I just had to work. They kept me at it. Dick Van Dyke, thanks for spending the time with us. Congratulations on a great memoir, My Lucky Life, in and out of show business, and good luck. I look forward to seeing you up on that stage in Santa Monica eventually. I'll be there. Thank you. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back, except perhaps to HughHewitt.com. Dick Van Dyke's brand-new book is My Lucky Life, in and out of show business. It's a memoir. The foreword, by the way, is by none other than Carl Reiner. It comes out by Crown Book. You're going to love it. I'll be right back. Stay tuned to the Hugh Hewitt Show. concludes today's episode of the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. Andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.